Attack of the Final Girls is a podcast about the horror genre, so listener discretion is advised. Please check the show notes for specific content warnings for this episode. And of course, beware of spoilers. Welcome to Attack of the Final Girls. I'm Juliet. And I'm Teresa. Happy Halloween. This is a little uh, trick-or-treat bonus for you because today is Halloween. So we thought we would offer up something a little different and yet very similar. Yeah, we actually got the opportunity to talk with the folks at Czar Power, Brendan and Roberto, and Bree from Pontifax and review a movie that, well, I don't think either of us had seen either version, right? No, it was first watched for both of us. Yeah. Yeah. We got to watch V, the 1967 version, the original, and the 2014 remake slash readaptation slash English language version, kind of. Kind of, sort of. It was complicated. How about that? Yeah. (laughs) But we got to watch them and actually do an episode with the five of us together kind of talking about that movie and Russian influences, which we've never done a Russian movie on this podcast before, so... Yeah, it was a really good time. The cool thing is, you know, the other podcasters involved are all history podcasters. And obviously, Teresa is involved in a history podcast adjacent to this one. I am not. Uh, so it was cool to get both the the sort of film critique perspective, but also a historical perspective about this story. So that's what you're going to hear. Happy Halloween. Yeah, happy Halloween. Enjoy. Enjoy. I'm your host, Roberto. And I'm Brendan, and together we're ranking the Russian rulers from Rurik to Putin. This week, we're talking about V by Nikolai Gogol and its two subsequent film adaptions. With us today, we have the Attack of the Final Girls host, Teresa and Juliet, as well as Bree from Pontifex. Welcome! Hello! 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 So, thank you guys for coming on to the show today. Uh, I know. Essentially, we have made our, our our guests watch two films of varying degrees of uh, how, what's the correct word I'm looking for here? Goodness, quality. no quality. Quality. There we go. <laughs> Tolerability. <laughs> Length. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and essentially, how faithful they are to the novel, to the short story they're based off of as well. So the film has two, essentially, movies. One from the Soviet Union in 1967, and one from the modern-day Russian media from 2014. Which, the the modern-day one has Charles Dance from Game of Thrones, or, you know, Lord Tywin Lannister, and Jason Fleming of various other films of recognizability. (laughs) (laughs) So... Um, and then go, uh, V is just a short story from Taras Bulba or Mirgorod by Nikolai Gogol, who is someone we will be talking about at some point on the Patreon about his whole life and his various um, novellas and plays. And But basically, to keep it short, he is Russia's Edgar Allan Poe, essentially. That's true. So, um, but before we continue on, can you all introduce yourselves, starting with Attack of the Final Girls? Hey, this is Juliet from Attack of the Final Girls. And this is Teresa from Attack of the Final Girls. Uh, We are a horror movie podcast, and we try to uh, review new old horror movies and kind of 
explore them from a feminist lens. And I'm Bree from Pontifax, a papal history podcast ranking all of the popes from Peter to Francis. Thank you guys so much. So to kind of continue on today, um, I did ask them to watch these two movies, and now we're going to discuss our thoughts. So in a nutshell, which one do you want to dunk on first? It's 1967 or 2014? Let's go chronological. I agree. That sounds good to me. Yeah. Okay. So the 1967 film, The V. Alrighty. So let's have the the horror movie host give their thoughts first. <laughs> sure. So this is my first watch. I've I've never seen any Soviet Union horror movies, especially not some that were based on literature. So this was incredibly enlightening to me. Um, I thought it was a lot like a lot of other horror movies that were happening in the 60s. So kind of funny, kind of irreverent, um, drawing on some, you know, actual folk history and uh, things like that. And I actually really enjoyed it. I, I had a great time watching this one. What about you, Juliet? Yeah, likewise. Um, This was a first watch for me, although um, in college I took a course on Eastern European cinema of this era, and I can definitely see uh, some stylistic ties there. Um, I also love that I could see a lot of uh, the roots of horror in German expressionism uh, manifesting in this film, especially in some of the camera work and creature designs. Um, And it was just a really fun period piece, especially uh, the very, very (laughs) end, those creatures were absolutely fabulous like there are certain moments where it took me back to like uh sort of the dawn of cinema you know the Melies, uh cabinet of dr caligari just in how imaginative the imagery was so this was uh, a really fun watch for me um i actually watched the uh remastered print of it too uh which came out on dvd in 2019 and it is a beautiful print by the way Ooh, so so you saw it twice then essentially well, I watched um, the version you sent. Um, I have on the remastered DVD. <laughs> yeah, it's just a cleaned up version of the film that was re-released by a company called Severin. I'll have to get that from you then. Just to kind of check it out and see it myself because I really did enjoy this film. And Bree, how about you? Well, this was definitely a first watch for me too. And I watched it from a perspective of not looking so much at, at film analysis, but just sort of the overall experience of the film. And it was... It was really interesting to see how Soviet films were being made at that time. There was a lot of reliance on interesting set pieces, but they didn't shy away from really practical effects. Everything that was being done was was really like just it was actual people doing actual props and and actual costuming, which I really appreciated because I think we've lost some of that in, in film today. And I, I just loved how wild it was, especially those last 10 minutes. That was everything in this movie, and I loved that. Yeah, I got to co-sign everything said here. I think def- by far my favorite part of the movie was the creature designs and the practical mm-hmm. effects. Um, the puppets, the makeup, everything. Even I, I like one part of movies I tend to enjoy is the technical aspects a lot, so... I think there was one point where um, there was a bit of a fake out where Homa Brutus, or not Brutus, um, I'm just going to call him Philosoph. He like saw the um, the corpse of the witch cry a little bit of blood 
And then they did that super old school technique where they like stop the camera, make sure everyone stays as still as possible, change something about the scene, and then cameras run again and everything disappears. And seeing that done, um, that very old technique was just like really charming to me. Yeah, it definitely had a lot of classic um, film techniques in it in that way, which I really appreciated. And some of those practical effects were extremely intense, too, like specifically the second night where she's in the coffin and it's slamming against the protection circle that Holma's in. (laughs) I thought that was amazing. Um, Yeah, I just have to underscore, too, the effects like they're practical sure they're happening in the 60s we probably have better methods whatever to do today but there's some sort of like heart and passion in having those and you could tell that these were probably pretty hard to pull off uh another one would be her in the coffin kind of zooming around in circles surfing that was great (laughs) yeah (laughs) that was great um so yeah i have to underscore that love the effects i thought that they were so charming and her crawling up the walls as well. Like, they, they clearly oh. have. <laughs> oh, yeah. And all the oh, yeah. demons crawling down the walls and then coming out of the walls. It was just fabulously done for the time period. There's one other specific effect I want to point out. There's a scene where, like, on the third night, all of these, like, bluish gray painted arms are coming out of the mm. walls. And they're just sticking. they're just sticking out of holes, which I thought was hilarious. It's probably not the effect they were going for, um, but it was like sort of like a primitive thing of like the effect I think in one of the um, Evil Dead movies where like arms are coming out of walls as well. Day of the Dead as well. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and to me, that was the that was the moment where like I was like really a fan. I really became a fan of this movie. I also think there's something to be said for the the way that it represented small village life and how everyone had this very, like the attitudes toward Koma coming in and having to pray for this woman who's died that he's beaten to death, but just the way that, that he was received in the village and how no one else seemed particularly perturbed by what he was experiencing. Yeah, and I kind of thought from that whole experience that... I, for me, it seemed that they kind of knew that she was a witch. <laughs> so I was like, oh, yeah, he's dealing with this. She, she's a witch. and But, you know, she asked for him to kind of come in and just kind of pray for her soul. So I guess he's the one who has to suffer for it. And even if they didn't know um, that, yeah. that she was a witch initially, when he starts trying to express what he's going through and his hair turns gray and he starts to act a little manic, they're just like, oh, yeah, that's 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 what happens. Just get back in there, slugger. Give it, give it your best. <laughs> you got one more day. You'll be fine. Just drink a lot. Yeah, and her father, the colonel, um, Homa at one point just says, she's in league with evil spirits and not doing this anymore. And her father just says, well, she's my daughter, and I'll give you a thousand dukes. <laughs> yeah. Just deal with it for a while. It's fine. Yeah. You're getting paid. I mean, his reasoning it is, is like, well, all the more reason you need to pray for her sinful soul. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, and I, I kind of did love the effects of, like, when they first, like, showed, just kind of bring it back um, to the beginning. 
I really liked how they showed like the monastery, the seminary school <laughs> life where these, and this is a bunch of like seminarians just kind of being rowdy and crazy. And I'm like, yep, this sounds just about right. And then uh, making fun of like the rector by making him look like a goat <laughs> and all that. So, yeah. so and basically the whole thing the is just, uh, yeah, they're stealing all the time. And, and then, you know, at the beginning when they go to the witch's, you know, house and he stays there, it's like, and she's trying to seduce him. He's like, oh, no, I'm on, I'm fasting right now. I can't do anything like that. <laughs> They're also very, like, blunt and literal with each other. It's like, no, I definitely won't have sex with you. You're just old. You're just old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, uh, it, it was basically like college life, except with worse haircuts. Well, I mean, I guess maybe worse haircuts. And woolen robes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, the Cossacks had way better haircuts. That, like, half-shaved thing over the side. <laughs> yes. And giant mustaches. <laughs> the, the, the mustaches were amazing. They were. They were. <laughs> I, I always love a good Cossack look. It's, for me, that that's, like, top-tier Cossacks are, like, you know, my favorite thing in Russian history, <laughs> yeah. even though they're, like, horrible people, <laughs> usually. Men, why did you stop dressing like this? <laughs> For for real, um, but it, I, the night like the nineteen sixty seven film for me was just like I because because I read the story and it was like almost like word for word super accurate. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to this is actually, to the story. This is a criticism of me because I so I have a rule. I usually watch the movie first before I read um, the thing that it was based on, and I did that in this case. And my one criticism is that it drags yeah. a bit, and I see that part of part of that is because it's trying to follow the story word for word, basically. That's that's very true. This one definitely, and that's why we keep talking about the last ten minutes because that's where all the action is. As you <laughs> would write a novella, but it does make the rest of the movie kind of drag on. And it's all this movie was very short. It was only just slightly over an hour, hour and a, it's an hour and a half mark, and so there was so much time where nothing was happening because they were really trying to capture the, the discussions and the dialogue of the novella. Which for me, honestly, being a fan of like Soviet cinema, because the Soviets do one thing really well and it's when they adapt a book, they do it well. <laughs> so you'll see it a lot in like Soviet, um, like film is just that, Oh, look, this is a book adaptation. It's probably going to be extremely faithful to the actual source mm-hmm. material. Compared to, like, things you see, like, in, you know, Western cinema. And with that, one of my favorite things about this was the fact that it did feel like it was coming straight out of the pages of a novel. And that it was that slow burn because, you know, everything happens on the third night, as you mentioned. In the last ten minutes where all the demons and everything come up. But this is, for me, just kind of like this whole, like, oh, he's dealing with, like, this descent into madness, basically. In dealing with... And like, oh yeah, and then, oh no, we're gonna slowly like make him go crazy, make him make his hair gray, and then everything happens all at once. And you're like, what? <laughs> what did this happen? And to your point too, those breaks that kind of slow down the movie are like Homa slamming back into reality, 
where he, you know, he's just had this night filled with fantasy and and demons and the devil and warring with his religion and his faith. And then he has to go to breakfast with all these Cossacks (laughs) and he just has to slam right back into reality. I can imagine that would be kind of disorienting and, and kind of slow it down. So... Yeah, there's definitely a purpose for it, and it definitely follows that novella style, which makes a lot of sense when you're looking at being faithful to the subject material. And and I think it actually gives more cadence to the story, because if you were just, like, horror all the time, you're like, okay, you know, we're getting too much all at once. But it kind of gives it the whole, like, this is happening at night when he's supposed to be praying for her soul, keeping vigil over her, and then it's just, like, out of nowhere, it's like, horrible thing happens, back into reality where like no one really believes him or they just kind of laugh it off or and he's just like i need to keep drinking because this is i'm going crazy because of all of this stuff and i like that that provides a counterpoint because he's drinking so much that you're kind of like is this actually happening or is he descending into alcoholism you know and can we trust Mm -hmm. him as a narrator sort of related like the the absolute mundaneness of everyday life outside of um, this like horrible nights really sort of I don't, I don't know I like the effect of it because a lot of horror movies have a tendency to elevate the entire story into this realm of fan- fantasy or being fantastic the fir- like the first thing that comes to mind would be a sci-fi horror like Alien where it's not really like a super familiar world or not, it's not something that seems plausible in that the effect is different. The, the effect of the horror is different when it's very clear that um, not only that Homa is like all alone in this, he's getting absolutely no help, but also that the world he lives in is not really enchanted. Well, that's an interesting consideration yeah, I... too, because it's it's the question about how in the time that this novella was written and in the village culture or or the folk culture, how much this was not seen as being supernatural or not being seen as magic, but just sort of what happens was just generally accepted as not, not any different than the mundane. And I think that they put Mm -hmm. a lot of pressure on Homa in that way where they're like, well, you came from the seminary. You're a learned, godly man. Why are you not able to deal with this? Yeah. With a caveat, like, the the world of that these villagers were living is kind of enchanted. Because like Bree said, um, the supernatural is just a part of everyday mm-hmm. life. And one of the points I do want to make is also that this is, even at the beginning, where it reads a quote from Gogol, which is like the first line of the book. Essentially, this is a tale of, like, supernatural taken, you know, from the history of, like, Ukraine and all that. Mm-hmm. Let me get the actual quote here. Okay, so essentially, the opening line of the V in Gogol's story, and that's, like, showcased in both films, is, The V is a monstrous creation of popular fancy. It is a name which the inhabitants of Little Russia give to the king of the gnomes, whose eyelashes reach to the ground. The following story is a specimen of such folklore. I have made no alterations, but reproduced it in the same simple form in which I heard it. Author's note. Um, and of course, when it says Little Russia, this is, you know, when Ukraine was part of the Russian Empire. So it's anytime between, like, the 17th to, like, 
the time Gogol was born, like the 19th century, was lived in the 19th century. So, can we talk about those eyelids for a minute too? Because this is <laughs> this is something that like like I want to know more if you have any information about why this was so prominent in folklore. Because this is the only real thing in the depiction of the V that sort of translated between both films was this idea of having these extremely long eyelashes slash eyelids that needed to be lifted. What's going on there? That's a great question. Um, that is a, honestly, I do not know because the V was just made up by Google. So, yeah, um, I was going to say, what we, what Google wrote there is right, true. He just right, but obviously this is yeah. he's he's making some sort of some sort of point about this the symbology of or the symbolism that he's using with these giant eyelids. So I was just curious. Um, okay, so like what I what I can g- gather is essentially the eyelids of the V. And they, you know he needs assistance to raise yeah. up his eyelids because he. He can use that to look through magic circles, even if, like, the rest of the demons can't. Because if you notice throughout the story, when Koma is in the magic circle, the witch can't find him, the demons can't find him. The moment the V opens up his eyelids and makes contact with um, Koma, you know, you know, eye to eye, he can see through the magic circle, and then he's killed at the end. And that's that was sort of where my interpretation went is there's clearly something about needing the assistance of the witch in order to be effective because he doesn't come until he's called but he's the most terrifying of creatures but he also needs the consent and the assistance of the one who called him in order to be effective yes and essentially because he needs that assistance to like open up his eyelids I think it honestly just comes from the even like the Christian tradition of, you know, you're supposed to, you know, cross yourself three times, make the sign of God, and then spit in the face of evil. Because at the end of the story, you know, Homa is like two like schoolmates are like, well, he should have not been afraid of it, like, <laughs> right? Or else he would have yeah, been everything's fine. Everything's fine. Um, yeah, this shows up more in the short story, but I think probably the main theme of the the story overall is courage, because ultimately Homa failed because. First off, he looked at the V. I'm pretty sure if he had just kept looking down at his book, if the V made eye contact with him, then he was mm-hmm. fucked. But if he just didn't look, he would be fine. And he says over and over, oh, a brave Cossack would never... The Cossacks are brave. Cossacks must do this and that. Cossacks have no fear. And I think the main thing is, is that because he's afraid, he it, forces, it makes him look, but he waits until... Because if you notice the theme of, you know, when the, the rooster crows, everything, you know, goes back mm-hmm. to normal. And he hears that rooster crow, which makes him look at the V. But, you know, he, he wasn't waiting for things to happen. He's like, oh, the rooster crowed, I can look. And then makes eye contact. Um, but, which, you know, caused him to, like, stray from the path um, and all of that. So... Yeah. I don't know if this is a thing in Christianity per se, but that makes me think of the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, which like comes from the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot's wife looked back and was turned into a pillar well, of salt. And similarly, yeah. Indian... What's yeah, it doomed site has a long yeah. literary True. history. True. So something about, I don't know, 
something about sight lets you interface with the supernatural more than any other sense, I mm-hmm. suppose. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing, just to kind of veer, and well, just kind of see, like, how this whole thing started with the killing of the witch. <laughs> um. Yeah, we've talked so much about the ending, we didn't talk about the start either. <laughs> True. Which is also, you know, how everything just ends up happening. So, before I give my thoughts, what are your guys' thoughts about like how the how this you know the event started that led Holmat to his death? I'm just separating so, the two. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna yeah. ask, how did you guys take the initial action of Homa writing, quote unquote, writing the witch or the witch writing him? Did you see that as, like, a sexual metaphor? Did you see that as something literal where she just wanted to have, like, one night of fun with this guy? She wasn't really trying to seduce him. Um, Speaking specifically of the 1967 version and not the shenanigans that happened in the 2014 version. (laughs) So when I saw this, I saw it as literal because... No, not literal, but as, like, a sexual thing because she was... Because she comes in and then it, because you're seeing it through Homa's eyes, it's for, to him. It's making him seem like he's, you know, she's trying to seduce him, and then she starts riding him like a horse. Which, if, it, well, we already we've already cursed, but essentially, for me, that kind of felt more like they were actually having sex. And then when she was killed, you know, was, he's he was just trying to say, oh no, she's a witch, but actually, she was just a younger woman who kind of helped her. Help you know, help them out to like have a place to stay, and then it's just you know, the whole plot for me was just like because Homa essentially killed this woman after having their fun, then he's being punished by God for like all the things that you know he had you know that happened by having her like be a, an actual witch and like cause or like consort with the devil to kind of get her revenge. Essentially. Well, and that also has a really long standing tradition in literary history as well as like supernatural folklore history, this idea of the witch's flight or the devil's flight. So there was a lot of tradition that he was drawing on to to sort of make that metaphor happen, but it is definitely also making the beast with two backs, if you will. Like there are definitely overtones mm-hmm. that this was supposed to be a sexual metaphor. Yeah, I don't I don't personally read it as, like, um, Homa going into a dream state or mm-hmm. anything like that. But I think that interp- – I don't – I think Gogol just literally just meant it was something supernatural was happening and that's all. Um, oh, no, no. Gogol was a sex fiend. He, like <laughs> – well, he was – okay, not a sex fiend, but he was, like, a, he was a huge pervert. <laughs> and, you, and, you, and, like, in his writing, you will see a, that a, a lot. Of letters. <laughs> I mean, I'm surprised he didn't have more things related to, like, noses, because that was his fetish. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. They talk about yeah. that in the Brothers Karamazov. He had a, Google had a nose fetish. Oh, boy. Yes. Uh, um. Which, I mean, witches, big, big, warty noses. You'd probably go nuts for that. Lord. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, you know, with yeah. the witch, and then you get the traditional, like, witch archetype, which, you know, they're all childless, independent, and extremely horny for some reason. Because right. independent women can get some when they want it. True. Right. Yeah. And thus, yes. they are dangerous. True. 
unbridled mm-hmm. sexuality is um, such a huge part of the fear of witches, right? So this is yes. definitely playing off yes. of that motif. Yes. Because... And the portrayal of an older woman past childbearing age having any sort of sexual sexuality yes. or sexual agency um, is a yes. huge theme of witches. I immediately thought of Pearl in mm-hmm. X. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. And I should point out, like, the uh, colonel's daughter was unmarried mm-hmm. also. She was a quote-unquote maiden. Mm-hmm. Probably not an actual maiden, but officially, outwardly, a maiden. Well, it it does mention that she was with a huntsman that she also forced her, you oh, know, yeah. rode him like a horse. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. So essentially, there's that thing, and then, and then he died somehow, um, afterwards. So I I could also see as like see it as the the you know the witch who's you know the Cossack's daughter who's the Cornell's daughter who's, you know she remains unnamed the whole time. <laughs> On a, which adds another folk folktale esque thing to you it. You don't need to identify um, women. <laughs> yeah, they don't need names. Come on. She's she's a witch. That's all you need to know about her. And yeah. but essentially, yeah. it's the I, only I also way a woman can be notable. <laughs> well, you know what they say: women all old women are witches, right? <laughs> yeah. Um. But I also th- um, saw it I like... I should mention, an old woman takes exception to that in the story, and a Cossack simply threatens to beat her up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do. Um, but I also do think that the whole, like, every time, you know, the Cos- the colonel's daughter, like, rides someone like a horse, the person ends up dead. I could also see it as, you know, it's actually just a colonel killing the person for being with... His daughter besmirching her honor exactly but you know there's a lot of stuff that can be drawn that i'm not you know that i'm not sure of which is why i want to discuss it with you guys so like any more thoughts on this film so i read just a tiny bit before we started recording um about like <laughs> the freudian um i, I mean Freud, take him or leave him, right? But, uh, like, the Freudian implications of the story and whether or not the witch was actually had sex with Homa, uh, you know, whether or not there's a, like, a, a familial relation between Homa and the old woman. There's a lot that's open to interpretation there. And I think specifically the story is more what they're, you know, kind of interpreting, but I did think that that was really fascinating that whether or not, you know, Gogol was a sex freak, they, they kind of opened up his story to this interpretation. Um, And we can see, you know, we can make those parallels when we watch the movie, but apparently this book has been very highly analyzed in terms of like Freudian themes. And I thought that was really interesting. Mm. I'm not surprised. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. If we're gonna go with Freud, um, witches are basically walking examples of castration. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Malleus Maleficarum, um, Heinrich Kramer wrote, I think. So, I mean, in general, witches interfere with reproduction. Is basically the thing about witches in the Malleus Maleficarum. They provide abortions. They cause miscarriages to happen. They eat babies. 
they cause impotence in men so the the, the witch is basically a woman who in some way exerts power over reproduction and especially over men um especially since i don't know if this would this is what google is drawing from but the uh hematogenous theory of reproduction um was an aristotelian form of medicine uh medicinal theory about um reproduction which was basically semen in, or sperm is the only creative element that sort of transfers the essence to the fetus whereas um, the only thing that the woman provides is incubation um, and also menstrual blood because <laughs> Aristotle believed that fetuses were made out of menstrual blood. So in a sense, getting an abortion was an affront to God, but it was also an affront to the father of the child because you were destroying his him. Yeah, because he had all the bits that matter. <laughs> Pretty much, yes. In kind of going back with that incest theory, um, do you think, I know this is kind of reading between the lines, but do you think that the colonel knew that Homa was the one who actually was responsible for his daughter slash wife, maybe slash relative's death? Oh, I mean, I didn't really have an incest theory, just more so that the father was just, you know, being being the leader of the town, anything that she does reflects badly on him. And essentially, you know, with women being seen as, like, property, and that's his un, this is his unmarried daughter, I don't think there was... But I didn't think he did know that she was killed by Homa, because that was the name that she mentioned. I don't... I don't know if if he knew because I feel like his response would have been different because he was like, yeah, you must do this and I'll pay you. But if you don't, well, the consequences are on you rather than like, I'll fucking kill you. You know, like it wasn't it wasn't aggressive enough, I think, for him to have been aware. He was just kind of like allowing Homa to make his decision, which would then have consequences. Well, he did threaten him, though, in both the story and the movie, I think. Yeah, but it was uh, not as, like, it's not as overt as I would have expected if it was like, you killed my daughter or wife or... Maybe. Um, I, don't think the, I don't think the filmmakers said that, but in, it's, it's pretty explicit in the book. He said, I'm going to whip you, then I'm going to pour brandy on your whipping um, injuries, and then I'm going to whip you again. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure that means that he knew. Well, I, I think it does because at least if he may have known that his daughter was consorting of some, some evil spirits, mm -hmm. which meant like if you don't if she if you don't let her get her revenge, I will get her revenge for you, which is what I took okay. it more as. Hmm. I can see that reading. I just kind of I I don't know I read things on the surface level more there. I guess I think he didn't know, and I think well the more evidence to your theory I would say again is his nonchalance mm -hmm. towards uh, Homa saying. Your daughter is consorting with evil spirits. Mm-hmm. Should we move to film two? Let's, yes. Which, I suppose. Yes, let's do oh, 20, V2014, right. which takes place a year after the events of V, <laughs> and brings in some English men to be the savior of the town and figure out yeah. the mystery behind everything. Yeah, a lot being said there, hey? <laughs> right? Out of... Ugh, Everything yeah. that annoyed me with this movie, I think the portrayal of the villagers was the thing that annoyed me the most. Yeah. 
there was definitely an overtone of backwater for sure. Yeah, like English supremacy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Look at how civilized we are in our big grand home with our big grand clothing, and you just want to rob our carriages and believe in silly superstitions. <laughs> I am a learned man. I make several maps. <laughs> I'm obviously a scientist. I'm a learned man. <laughs> I know about Da Vinci. <laughs> w- my teacher was Isaac Newton. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he makes all these, like, it- it's like a, a 10-year-old's idea of what a scientist yes. would say when he's, like, talking to these backwater savages. He's, like, at some point, out of nowhere, he just says, <clears throat> uh, argumentum ad Yes! And then is very smug. <laughs> and I was like, that doesn't even make sense. Yeah, that's not a thing. That's what I, I know that that's how scientists actually talk. They just say non sequiturs to one another. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. If it's in Latin, it must be smart. Like I'm, I don't have a problem in theory with some character like being like the uh, I don't know the, the Velma, who's like um actually this is a perfectly rational explanation for everything that's going on here. <laughs> right. I don't have a problem with that if it's like a silly character, because clearly like the the movie can't decide if the villages are backwards and stupid for believing in the supernatural. Or not, because I'm pretty sure... Well, I don't know. I guess they're... No, all the supernatural elements are debunked at the end, I guess. Well, here, here's what I didn't get. Like, the film is trying to do, like... Basically, I thought this film was more like a Scooby-Doo episode, if I'm being honest. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and, and like a really bad Scooby-Doo episode. Because, trust me, I freaking love Scooby-Doo. <laughs> and, like... It was just like, oh yeah, here's just all the supernatural stuff that we can't explain. And then actually this was all by the priest who's doing everything because he's corrupt and wants a thousand gold or like just wanted the love of the, you know, the colonel's daughter, but didn't get it because he's a priest. So yeah, that freaking guy, but also and and like, and like, I couldn't even tell if this is like an Orthodox priest or like just a Catholic priest because they they had like an actual like statue of Christ as a cro- on the cross, which which I'm like no 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 Orthodox right? church would have this. I did question that. I was like, this seems wrong. Yeah, everything about all yeah. of the iconography in that church was wrong. Right, and and that was like one of the fav- my favorite things from the '67 film is the church. The church is amazing, mm. and in this one, they had the potential to reuse that, and they just kind of crapped the bed on that one. Definitely. Yeah, and I honestly couldn't tell. Like, you're not supposed to know where it happens. You're supposed to know this is like a Russian Empire-esque area, and one of the things as I went through it's kind of like doing like my background research is okay so the next film that takes a few months after this you have Peter the Great in it so you know at least it takes place in the 1600s or like the um, early six, you know the early 1700s late 1600s uh, um, but yeah the, yeah the the garb and and delivery of the English people definitely does not imply the same time period <laughs> it does not 
And and then one of the things that as I just kind of kept looking through is you know even in the first film and the second film they use a term like pan for like men and pan or panachka for women which shows a more like a more like Polish influence on the oh. language because and that is a thing because Ukraine was part of the Polish Lithuanian Commonwealth for a while um, which was the four, you know the 14th through 16th centuries um, hmm. and and with that I was like okay you know, so, you, so it's in western Ukraine if anything was it western yeah western so you would get so basically it's in that area there so which I could say okay you know they could be Catholic but they're like trying to like mix Catholic and like Orthodox iconography and I'm like this is confusing as frick <laughs> Um, it seemed to me, based on the filmmaking and the era in which this came out, that they were really trying to toe a line of like, this is a Russian film, but it's definitely like, we want that international yep. distribution. We want this to catch on in the <laughs> US mm-hmm. and the UK. Um, I could tell by based on the way it was shot, the story was structured, all of that. It was trying to fit in to um, the sort of horror adventure costume dramas of the early yes. 2000s yes. like Van Helsing kind <laughs> yes. of kicked off this wave of stuff um, um, that we still see today Brothers it Grimm. was reminding us of a yeah Brothers Grimm uh, the action adventure Hansel and Gretel series all yeah, of that I told Juliet when we were yeah. watching this uh, they totally I Frankensteined the uh, the movie <laughs> the 1967 version <laughs> and I honestly think I honestly think that I would have liked this version better for all of the mess that it is if I did not know that it was a remake of the 1967 version I think I actually would have liked it better yeah that's probably true Hmm. I agree yeah I think if I had watched this maybe not the year it came out but like if I had seen this movie on TV at a certain time in my life I would have been like this is bad, but I love it. <laughs> but having seen the original, I'm just like, nah, the, the original is so much better. That's a fair point. Yeah. I, I fully agree with that. I mean, t- I don't think I would have liked it either ways because just me being the pedantic freak that I am about Eastern European things, um, I would have just been like, no, this is wrong. No, no, no. Why, you know, why wouldn't they already have maps of this place <laughs> and all that? Yeah. It's not like, you know, they didn't have like... He what? was able to I, get there. It, it's obviously like mapped territory. Yeah. And like the suspension of disbelief is just, I don't know. It, the, again, with the backwater thing, like this, this colonel is like picking up this dude's book and map. And he's like, what is this? Book? <laughs> yeah. What am I looking at? Not even a colonel. It's just like one of the caustics. It's like, yeah. oh, this man's a devil. And then it's like, oh, look, he doesn't even have mm. a Bible in his hand in, on it with him look at all this sorcery yeah he's like no that's just stuff oh, the light of knowledge is evil was a real line that was said in this movie for the listeners at home by um by the priest it's he's a it's definitely <laughs> confused as to which era this movie actually happens in it's like this weird mm-hmm. amalgamation of like between 14th and 16th century but also like definitely influences from like the 18th and 19th century England which is very yes. strange and, and very off-putting mm-hmm. and like I, I get it because if this is around the time like 
because this because of the sequel, which I'm not watching. Um, so there is a this sequel. This is around the time of like. Oh come on! It's yes. there is. No. It takes place in China. It's got Arnold Jeez. Schwarzenegger. It has Jackie Chan. Oh my yep. god! Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. yeah, and it's in China. Doesn't it have another guy? It well, it has like another huge Charles acting. Dance and Jason or uh, Jeremy Fleming in it again. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, it's 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 in England. Actually. That totally passed me by. Oh, terrible. Okay. <laughs> they, so, fair warning. They so like the V three D version is very different in terms of cut and like subject matter that they include than Forbidden Kingdom is, which Forbidden Kingdom is the one that is supposed to be the franchise where they have a second one, and they also have a third one in production, which is going to be in India. Oh, no. Yeah. So (laughs) just uh, FYSA, um, that's, yeah. So I actually watched both. I watched the the full version which is over two hours but i also watched the the one that's on amazon which has english um dubbing and it's very very different like they've cut it all up they rearranged it Mm. so you know go (laughs) choose your own adventure for sure but it is very different Okay, I'm curious then. Wait, is yeah, it better? Yeah, I'm curious if it was better because there did feel there were sections of this movie that felt out of order, for sure. So like it felt very disjointed. I will not say that it's better. I will say <laughs> that some of the cuts feel frantic. So, like mm. specifically, here's an example: the scene where they're telling the lore of, you know, the women putting the wreaths in the in the river and then, you know, people picking up the wreath and or men picking up the wreath and then them being their soulmate. And then that's right. when we see the young woman get, you know, she's dead and then her friend gets hurt and all that. They chop that up and cut it together with a scene where the colonel finds his daughter and the other young woman is discovered. They cut that together and they chop like 75% out of it and just speed run through it. So it's like, I'm, I'm talking like second cuts. So you're like flipping to the, the, you know, the bad guy. I kept calling him Worm Tongue because I didn't know what his name was (laughs) because he kind of has like Grima Worm Tongue makeup on. He does. So I just called him Father Wormtongue the entire time I was watching the movie. But they like cut to Father Wormtongue, cut to the dad. The dad's like, okay, I got to take my daughter home. And then the daughter says like her whole line, but they cut that even where she's explaining like, you have to go to Homa and get him to come and say the prayers. They cut it to just the part where she's like, find Homa. He'll know who the wolf in sheep's clothing is. And I just was like, oh, that's so on the nose. It just takes all of the mystery away from it. So anyways, choose your own adventure. It's not better. It does not get better. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So his name is Father Paisi. I had no idea. I just kept calling him Father Wormtongue. uh, (laughs) Father Wormtongue is better. We we love a nickname up in here. (laughs) Yeah. Also, I want to say... In the short story, Homa isn't the one who goes to the exorcism or the read the prayers. It was his friend Thomas Brutus. What? Is it? What? Yeah. No, the Homa isn't the one who who reads the prayers in the short hmm. story. But just the adaption decided that he's the one who should do it. Yeah, because they they I think they combine them because it's like you have Homa, then you have like 
Thomas Brutus. And then it's just like, oh yeah, this is Homa Brute. And that's literally his name in the in the 1967 film. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah. So they just kind of like, I think they just thought Koma was a cooler name and like more Slavic sounding than Tomas. So, gotcha. which, which I don't, you know, which I don't blame them because you barely see the other two friends the whole story. So like, oh, and it doesn't matter who it is as long as it's just a somebody. Well, and that's the other thing, again, with this idea of like portraying everybody as, who's from the village as if they're from the backwater. His friends are absolute idiots in this version. They're just numbskulls, and it does them no favor. So, like, nobody is really all that concerned about what they have to say and what happened to their friend because they're just drunken dangleheads. Yeah, they're <laughs> such bros. Yeah. I mean, but they were kind of like that in the like in the story and in the other adaptation because they're always like, "Let's get drunk, let's get food, and all that." Yeah, but they're 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 um, young seminarians who are acting like young seminarians, not just like absolute brain dead losers like there's definitely a difference true (laughs) true 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 if we can maybe stop for a second i want to talk about the two notes of praise i have for it which was the costuming Mm -hmm. i loved um the over the top set design like the maximalist set design where like even just this guy's carriage has to have <laughs> a globe and a bird cage and a wheel on the back to I guess measure how fast he's going I don't know it the it gave Steve steampunk Steve punk steampunk vibes yeah <laughs> yes yeah I, I I loved how absurd it was um, oh yeah that was one of the first thing I said when I started watching it as I was like, well, they spent some money on this for sure. <laughs> you know, it's a very lavish production, even if the story doesn't uh, support that, let's say. Yeah. So let me just add that this was the highest grossing film in Russia in 2014. Shocker. <laughs> and then like, and they were supposed to like in- distribute it internationally because they were like, this is really good. Let's distribute it. But because it was a joint Ukrainian and Russian production, they had some argumentation about how the money would be split. And then um, some other stuff happened in 2014 regarding Ukraine um, and Russia. Some so that stuff. didn't help it yeah. at all. Oh, you know, just Crimea. But I, I do want to so. circle back to what Brendan was just saying there, because my absolute favorite part of this movie was the stop animation used on the tree. When they had this big tree demon, it was it was all stop animation. It was so oh, yeah. creepy yeah. and awesome. Even Jordan, when we would when he walked in because he wasn't watching it with me, but he's like, "Oh, what is that? That's really cool." That was excellently done. Even for all of the the digital effects that they had, some of them were really cool. And I'm thinking specifically of the scene where they're all having dinner at the guitar. Jonathan is there and all of the villagers turn into demons and you know there's like the little tiny bird baby baby demons yes (laughs) I thought that was actually really cool and yeah the effects don't really hold up now but we're also nine years into the future and you could tell that they put a lot of work and effort into it and I thought Mm -hmm. that was really cool Um, some of the 3D effects though like it's a 3D movies you know (laughs) <laughs> just what else is there yeah, to say that, it was, it's it's that generation of 3d films that we all know and love or where, like hate. every because yeah. honestly i hated the 3d because like 
I have to put glasses on top of my glasses to watch a film. Like, no, thank you. And one of my least favorite things is like, you can tell it's trying to do the 3D things, like the baby demons and some of the scenes are like, oh, they're supposed to pop out at the at the at the viewer. Yeah. Um, but I will say my favorite scene throughout the whole thing was probably that dinner scene. Even like though some like the baby demons, you know, they were fine until you saw them up close, and I'm like, okay, never mind. But I did like that whole, like, how the caustics are transforming and, like, kind of dealing with that. And then it just it turns out, like, oh, he just had a really bad, like, experience with, like, basically the moonshine he was making for them. Which, you mean the one that, that was of... as clean as ice? <laughs> yeah. It kind of took some of the magic out yeah. of it, though, for them to, like, you know pull all of the folklore out of it and for him to be like there's actually a perfectly reasonable explanation and then it for that to actually be the thing it kind of yeah. pulled some of the magic out of it because I like but that like, I like the little bit of you know but I think that was the thing that was definitely happening in the early 2010s with yes. the horror movies especially with these adventure horror movies is like hey mm-hmm. actually this is all real reasonable and Nothing yeah. weird is actually going on. Yeah. Yeah. And and you too could traverse the world debunking, you know, silly, silly things. backwaters. You know, it, it, it very much had that adventure spirit. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. Yeah. And w- one of the things that, like, I thought this movie did, did well, that detracted from the movie multiple times was the fact that it had to explain things and just not, like, keep it as it was because then you're like wait so how do you explain what happened to like coma during the you know the preceding film you know when you watch the 1967 version because technically this is a sequel to that film if you think about it and but then it's like okay but how does coma who was like in the water mill start seeing all of this stuff when he's like there they're like actually he wasn't at the water mill he was at the lake with the girl and i'm like okay what this is, you're basically just taking this story that was written, just destroying it. They put yeah. they put way too much extra folklore on the shoulders of this movie. Like mm-hmm. it stands up by itself. The story is fine, and I actually really enjoyed the story. But they put all this extra stuff on there, the, the cartographer and all that stuff. I'm like, it doesn't need that. It doesn't need this evil, you know, Father Gre- uh, Grima Wormtongue. It doesn't need that. It's great in and of itself. And then they tried to force, I think, this parallel between Jonathan and his relationship with his, you know, baby mama. um, Yeah. Because they're not married. They tried to force this parallel between that and then, you know, protecting her honor and her dad and all that stuff. And what's happening in this village. And I'm like, this is this is a stretch. (laughs) Well, and that's, again, it comes down to, we, we felt that the first one dragged a little because it was trying to be faithful to the actual novella, but this had the opposite. It it was a two and a half hour movie, and it absolutely didn't need to be. It only dragged because they were trying to throw so much at it. Oh, yeah. I mean, as soon as uh, Jonathan is introduced, like when we have that kind of hard cut into his introduction, I was like, wait. Who is this guy? I don't care <laughs> yeah. who this is, you know? I think it's suffering from, like, franchise-itis because yes. they're clearly trying to set up the thing where, okay, we want to tell all these stories about all of these different cultures, but we need a, a globe-trotting hero mm-hmm. to tie it all together. That's true. And in 
the Forbidden Kingdom yeah. version of this, they actually, the very beginning of the movie is introducing Jonathan, and then they skip to the um, beginning of the V story after that. So it's very weird. It's a very strange choice of organization from one to the other. It's, I don't know. It just, And I did see, I don't know if you guys know who this is, but I did see that Uva Boll was an executive producer oh. on this film. Oh, <laughs> so no. <laughs> clearly you guys know who okay, that is. So you guys know. <laughs> I, do, I do not know who is this person. Have you ever seen uh, okay, Alone in the Dark? <laughs> Um, okay, no. <laughs> so there's this whole, so I'm not going to go into it too much, but there's this whole litany of early 2000s, early 2010s horror movies, especially adaptations of video games into horror movies that were done by this one guy named Uva Boll, and they're pretty, across the board, just absolute garbage, and... Like Alone in the Dark was one. I think he did Blood Rain. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I, I know Blood Rain. Yeah, I know Blood Rain. Right. This guy. Somehow, oh god. Studios just keep throwing millions and millions of dollars at him to remake these movies, and they just are so terrible. And he's executive producer on this one. And I was like, "Yep, this has the Uva Bowl touch. It's it's cursed." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Flood Rain was not great. No. <laughs> no, nope. it was not. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, I had something to say, and then I forgot because having to figure out who Uwe Boll was. <laughs> um, I had one last thought. So, I kind of liked the uh, reworking where Palma was the bad guy the whole time. I kind of liked that twist at the end because I really did not see it coming. No, but he he wasn't though. It was the father. What? No. Yeah. Was... No, Homa. No, Homa is the one who killed um killed the witch. No, it was Father Paisi who did. Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. He was jealous because like he couldn't have her, oh. so he dressed up and killed her, oh, and then Homa. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Because okay. they both look so freaking similar. I 100%. Yeah, it's like a um, Judge Frollo situation. Exactly. I 100% could understand, though, how you kind of would get a different result because, like, it's confusing. <laughs> but it's true. I stopped paying attention. <laughs> uh, sorry, Roberto. Uh, it was, I, I put it on 1.5 speed, but like halfway through. <laughs> oh no! I, I literally stopped paying. I, I was only paying attention just because I was like, "All right, when is this ending?" I'm like, oh, I still have another right, hour. Right, that's, that's how I felt Shit. about. It. I'm like, how is there still an hour left of this film? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, <laughs> sorry to the the film snobs, but like, the, the movies don't need to be two hours. I keep it to like hundred percent agree. I hate when movies are. I hate when something's just long for the sake of being long. There is no reason for it. Mm-hmm. Like I understand that like old movies like Ben Hur, like they had to be that long because it was like you were spending an afternoon at the movies. But I remember watching I think Seven Samurai, and it was four hours, mm. and I was like Akira Kurosawa, come on, man. You have to have a really high opinion of yourself if you think you're anyone's going to sit through four hours of your movie. This is this is how I felt about the last season of Stranger Things. There was so much. <laughs> you could have yeah. cut easily a full half an hour out of that last episode, 
and it drove me crazy. What is it? What is? Why does it need to be an hour and a half? Yes! Just split exactly. it up. Exactly. Just cut it down. Edit properly. And that's that's how I felt about this movie, too. Like, if we, there's so much we could have taken out of it. And it would have been a tighter, mm-hmm. cleaner film that we'd all be sitting here going, wow, that was actually really engaging. Yeah. So, like, one one way I thought it could have been better is if it used, you know, Homa's friends to kind of help solve the mystery that was going on here. Yes. Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah. They're the perfect three stooges minus one stooge. Yeah. yeah, it's just like figuring out, oh, what happened to our friend? He's here. And we're like, we, yeah. we, there's no body. We don't know what's happening. And they could have been the perfect people to just kind of like figure out what's happening and like break the corruption of, you know, the the, the village. Right. They're, but no, we got to get an English. They're already <laughs> there. They're already immersed in the story. We don't need to introduce a totally new person with a totally separate and independent storyline to mm-hmm. help us unravel this mystery. Why not just yeah. mm-hmm. let the village, let the villagers, let the people who are familiar with the situation do it themselves? Because they're just so uneducated yeah. and ignorant. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, yes. <laughs> Argumentum ad hominem. <laughs> even if you're going to do like this, you know, right off into the sunset thing, like the, the search, like I watched the searchers for the first time the other day. And John Wayne's character does do the ride off into the sunset thing at the end of the movie. But he has like a personal connection. Like there's stakes here. What stakes are there with Jonathan? Like, did, yeah. What, what, what reason does he have to help these people? Yeah. A, a sequel. <laughs> Those are the stakes. Yeah. You know, we just, Why we just watched um, the Pope's exorcist for our Patreon. And right at the oh, very yeah. end of this movie, they're like, ah, oh, yes, we've now discovered that this is one of 200 sites on the planet that <laughs> God is not welcome. Yes. So they're trying to set up this whole franchise for 199 sites. I, I just find that theologically offensive right. also. Right. Because God is infinitely powerful. <laughs> what Catholic would come on? Oh, yeah. Well, they're they're clear they're already working on the sequel for it, so clearly it worked just enough, but that that lame, flimsy attempt at sequel and franchising is always very obvious. Yeah. How was Russell Crowe though? Um, not not bad, I guess. It was better than we all thought it was gonna be. But you you can you can cut yeah, this but our our favorite thing that we walked away with is that the the first character who is possessed the reason that they know he's possessed is because he speaks he's suddenly speaking English and so every time in the film that somebody was speaking English <laughs> we're like ah possessed so it's not that you know he was writing with his left hand and really that he's right-handed because that's another like favorite trope like yes <laughs> you never would have known unless we had somebody noticed that he was writing with the wrong hand oh, the sinister so hand <laughs> yes <laughs> that's really flimsy evidence for a possession i gotta say oh yeah it definitely was they're like how do you know he's possessed <gasps> he's speaking english that's just brilliant <laughs> So, with the discussion kind of like drawing to its conclusion, so which one did you prefer overall? <laughs> the first one. Yeah, same. Yeah. Definitely. I remember my last thought. So, the second one is dumber than the first one, not for just, you know the many reasons we've gone over, but it made the subtext text. Yeah. Because the subtext in the first movie was about 
was about sex and murder and so on. So we covered all this, and it's it's just made an explicit part of the plot in the second mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, it's it's doing a lot of like telling and well, a lot of showing and not well. Mm-hmm. How how does that work in showing film? Not telling. telling and not showing telling yeah. and not showing? Yeah, it has a very low opinion of Russians for a Russian Ukrainian production yeah. because all the Russian characters are backwards idiots. Yeah. And well, well, well if you think about it, this is set in Ukraine. So this is set in Ukraine, so it just shows the Russian wow, opinion on Ukrainians. There yeah. you go. <laughs> and for like, I don't know how this got by a Russian-Ukrainian production, but yeah, it doesn't show a good opinion yeah. on it. And, except for like the one character who's like, I'm going to help the Englishmen out and no one's, and they're going to listen to me. And it's just like, but he's kind of like a, he's the, he's a shaggy of like the film. Yeah. What, what, Petrus? Petrus, Yeah. <laughs> shaggy of the film Who, i love that john just calls peter yeah it's like i'm not gonna even yeah. bother to pronounce your name correctly because you're from an ignorant backwater great mm-hmm. hey well, peter come here speaking of i would watch the um i would watch the sequel of this movie if they had james gunn write it and they just packed as many weed jokes in it <laughs> as they possibly could there's an idea well let me tell you who did direct it what the third movie or the second one yeah, it was not James Gunn, so you don't have to watch it. <laughs> so one of the things uh, Juliet and I like to do is talk about Dreamcast. So, like, who would we rather have in the cast? Mm. And for me, in the 1967 version, I could totally see Gene Wilder as playing Homa. <laughs> yes! <laughs> yeah. Yes! True. And then True. Juliet... Hope I would have been great. Juliet had some uh, opinions about this, uh, about who she would like to see direct this now that I thought were really interesting. Oh, um, Ari Aster. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be I great. would love, yeah, I would love to see Ari Aster's take on this story because for me, a lot of the charm of the original was that sort of tease of... You think it's supernatural, then you think it's all in its all in his head, and then you're like, maybe it is supernatural, and then all of a sudden at the end it hits you in the face, like, oh no, like this is definitely supernatural, and Ari Aster does that really, really well, and I think he can take that sort of slow burn tease and make it and pull you along in a way that's really intriguing. So definitely Ari. I could see that. Take it, try his that hand would be at that. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I can't come up with someone different than Ari Aster. I think he would be perfect. Yeah. Like, the only other, like, sort of A24 horror director I know is Robert Eggers, and I don't think he would... I don't know if he would be good for this. He would certainly want to make it historically accurate. There'd be way probably. too many masturbation jokes, though, yeah. and farting <laughs> and yeah. burning. I don't know if... <laughs> Wait, Ari Aster did Midsummer, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, yes. God, that would be beautiful. Hereditary and Midsummer. <laughs> Oh, that'd be beautiful to see him to see his take on V. Well, we can propose uh, it and see if we could get a result there because you know clearly this hasn't been yeah, mined enough. Has email? I mean, and then you, then you can get Florence Pugh to be the uh, the, the witch. The witch. <laughs> I mean, the witch do, the witch doesn't get much of a role. She, I mean, In well. The, she doesn't speak. She, I think she has one line. But it would have to be somebody who's, like, just totally a visual actor, I guess. Comfortable surfing on a Lisa, coffin. Lisa, uh, shit. What's, um, 
Tim Burton's ex-wife. Lisa, <laughs> Lisa Marie. Lisa Marie. You can have Lisa Marie do it. She was in Sleepy Hollow. She played Johnny Depp's mom. I haven't seen Sleepy Hollow. What? People said that this movie is like Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> oh, you should definitely I, I see it. At least one time. <laughs> okay. I tend to skip over the shitty Burton movies, but okay. I'll also I'll watch Oh, it's it. worth I it for the aesthetic. One. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. I watched Beetlejuice for the first time like a while back and it was I was like still thinking about it for days and days. Yeah, cuz it's freaking Beetlejuice. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> Dale. I can't not think of that. I actually went into a restoration hardware recently and they totally had the table from that scene there <laughs> and I was like how would you not be able to like imagine shrimp hands grabbing your face <laughs> yeah. if you were sitting at this table to eat. Anyways, aside. Yes. Yes. Well, I think this is where we can call it a finish. Um, so, Juliet and Teresa, where can people find you guys? Uh, you can find us anywhere you get podcasts. Uh, we have a website of tackofthefinalgirls.com. We are on Instagram and TikTok. Uh, we exist upon Twitter, but are kind of uh, jumping ship, as is everyone else. So those are your two best spots to find us for a social media connection. And Bree, where can people find Pontifex? People can find Pontifex on all of their podcatching service, and we're Pontifex Pod on all of the social medias. And if we jump ship, we'll be Pontifex Pod over there too. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter as Foster underscore Rudding. You can also find me on Substack as Invented Organs, and on Bandcamp under my musical project BarGeistMusic.bandcamp.com. And I'm also jumping ship from Twitter. I'm on Blue Sky more now, so I'm just Brendan Foster. Uh, dot blue sky dot social on there and then you can find us uh, as our power pod on any pod, on any social media platform so um, that's a dos filiantavarishi from me and from me remember vlosh pros diet parasitov bye 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 Thanks for listening to Attack of the Final Girls. Find us online at attackofthefinalgirls.com. You can support this podcast and hear bonus episodes at patreon.com slash attackofthefinalgirls. We are Attack of the Final Girls on Instagram and TikTok. Our theme music is by House Ghost and is available on Rad Girlfriend Records. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting app so you don't miss an episode and rate and review on Apple Podcasts so more people can find the show. I'm Juliet. And I'm Teresa. Until next time, stay scary. Bye.